Oh, one last time. Across, one last time. One Until last six months from now. teach him how to say goodbye welcome back to enter the real world.com for the last time this volume this is there will be movies a podcast dedicated to 25 of our favorite movies from a given decade this is episode 25 of 25 for volume one which covers 2000 to 2009 sad sad times but we did it we got there who's we i'm matt waters i am joined by ben phillips who is enjoying the benefits of a large room he doesn't normally get to record in you're just loving life right i am i'm being set up by a cat like batman <laughs> right a cat woman i should i should probably go for but like it's yeah. kind of sat there eyeing yeah. me up fantastic this is great audio this is content. great audio i'm loving it this is how we got to 25 episodes is this kind of quality audio so this is episode 25 now if you have been paying attention to this podcast as it went there is some inconsistency here because benjamin several weeks ago put out a poll about whether our 25th movie should be a history of violence which would have made inglorious bastards our final episode or Zombieland, which would have been our final episode. And Zombieland won in, I don't know if it was a landslide, but it won. (laughs) It did win, quite handily. Okay, now I put Zombieland forward, not expecting it to actually make the list. Now, because, you know, we make our own lists, and then you know what's, you know, we got to negotiate and come up with stuff we both missed, and try and spread the love a little bit. And uh, I didn't for a second think Zombieland was going to make it, but for a good long time it was going to. But then the Hurt Locker kept on coming up, and I just thought, fuck it, let's do the Hurt Locker. So, much to the joy of Mike Thomas, probably, that we're not doing Zombieland in the end, although he probably hates Hurt Locker, I don't know. I'll ask him about that at some point. We're doing Hurt Locker. I mean, look, we'll do new, new poll. Hurt Locker or History of Violence, and then we'll just shove in the History <laughs> no. of Violence episode at episode 10.5. No, you made me watch a war movie, we're gonna record about it, and that's that. I hate war movies. <laughs> we, discovered, we discussed this on Inglourious Bastards last week. I felt Inglourious Bastards was basically not really a war movie, but more a movie set during the war. This, a little bit more of a war movie, so it sort of hit those things I don't like about it more but not directed by quentin tarantino so that helped instead directed by catherine bigelow other movies this decade what an interesting career uh, as you were saying to me before we started but the weight of water and k k19 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 the widowmaker k19 uh, the widowmaker yes her other movies this decade but quite a career spanning several decades made one of the greatest action movies ever in point break <laughs> this has become her niche now like her and uh, mark ball who wrote it like this is this is their deal now as they went on to make zero dark yeah it's, it's and, detroit which is and detroit not which is less like this but they made that as well and it's good to have a, another woman on the list quite frankly because i think yeah. we lamented about uh, if, that if, much if, earlier yeah if you haven't seen strange days watch strange days that one's really good mm. it's also what killed her career the first time but <laughs> it's so weird because like she's she, her career has died twice yeah because she does point break which is this massive hit in the 90s i say, I say massive hit it did it did like quadruple its budget but it's famous it, it, it was. It's, 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 a, it's famous. It's a known and I think, film. And then Strange Days, which was written by her then husband, I think, 
or possibly they'd gotten divorced by that point, lost almost all the money was put into it. That'll do and it. then she basically went away for five years, did The Weight of Water, which sat on a shelf for two years, came out after K-19 The Widowmaker, which was also a, a massive bomb and kind of like the, one of the biggest bombs of Harrison Ford's career. And then she was in kind of like, like not movie jail, but she was kind of like away for quite a while, well, like not really doing much. And then, then she comes back with this and wins Oscar for Best Picture and Best Director. Yeah, well, as a woman, she is not allowed to fail even once. Uh, so, yeah. It with Mimi Leader. She directed like a bunch of movies in the 90s, kind of like big movies, and then she had one notorious flop and she was kind of like put into TV jail for God knows how long until like she did her movie this year or last year, the one about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It is wild that so many women are punished when a project they're associated with doesn't do well financially and then Noah Hawley, who obviously a very talented writer, can fail upwards into Star Trek after having one of the worst performing movies in the history of movies. But <laughs> so his movie had a budget of twenty-seven million dollars and has made three hundred twenty thousand dollars at the box office. Yes, that is not a typo. No one has accidentally put a decimal point in the wrong place. That's less than a million dollars. That's wild. And, oh, actually, where is it playing in London? Because it's out this Friday, I and I'm like, I Do kind you... of think that the the real world should cover it. <laughs> to be honest, oh, it's out on it's out on Friday, and I can go see it if I want to. Uh, let's do our own Christmas special. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's so release June. 26th, 2009 in the US, August 28th, 2009 in the UK. We've talked a lot, a lot of it about 2006, but we've also talked about 2009 a lot, so really just let's talk about how this movie did in its opening weeks and months. This movie kind of was a complete non-entity, because it came out in middle of summer, which isn't <laughs> a good time for this kind of movie. So in, in the UK, it was up against Final Destination, which is number one at the box office, the second week of Inglourious Bastards, Funny People, and then kind of like Time Travel's Wife, Alien to the Attic, Harry Potter, G-Force, and it opens number eight with a half million dollars equivalent in the UK. And literally at this point, like I think it's kind of, it's done a festival circuit. It's made, it doesn't make much money, like to the point where like, I think I mentioned last episode, it is the it is the lowest grossing Oscar winning movie of all time for best picture. It doesn't even crack 50. And it, it just kind of like, because by the time the Oscars happen, it doesn't get any Oscar bump because it's out on home video when the nominations are happening, like well and truly, which really doesn't happen much for Oscar winning movies. Either they're a hit at the time or, that they get a bump kind of like in that kind of February, January window when the nominations or the or the wins are announced. Yeah, so it, it was just this tiny little thing that just, like the little engine that could almost, that just out of nowhere, you know, all these movies that are coming out in 2009 and then boom, Hurt Locker wins everything. It's like, oh, okay. And I think, I don't know if it launched the career of Jeremy Renner, but the sort of brief experiment into whether he can carry movies, I think is based on this. I mean, I, I mean he's good in movies before this, like he's good in 28 weeks later he's good mm -hmm. in assassination of jesse james mm -hmm. but this is very much the kind of like because he filmed this around the same time he would have done those two movies because this sat on a shelf for a while it premiered at film festivals didn't come out for a year until after its premiere which is why technically it's a 2008 movie because it premiered yeah. at the venice film festival even though it, no one got to see it until june the next year in america <laughs> and then from that like he does the town 
which he's really good in. I think um, that's the first time I saw him. And then he gets cast in kind of like he gets Mission Impossible, he gets Avengers, he gets Bourne. They oh, try that Bourne film. <laughs> yeah, they try and do something with Hansel and Gretel, where obviously the intent is to have him be that kind of stuff. But other than that, like he gets like three big franchise offers or four big franchise offers really, really quickly after, the, or not a lot quickly, but kind of in the years that follow this movie. And then after like Bourne Legacy fails and Hansel and Gretel fail, people start to go like, oh, he can't actually carry a movie to the point where like so the the we'll, we'll get into this more with our next mini series but for ghost protocol the plan was to shift tom cruise out of the franchise i know yeah that we're gonna and, do and, this with two different franchises tag yeah. out famous actors it's jeremy renner's turn <laughs> yeah exactly so like the whole point was and then they bring in um, a new screenwriter at the end to and his first note is don't get rid of tom cruise so the entire <laughs> third act of ghost protocol is rewritten on the fly to not be an explicit goodbye to Tom Cruise and then obviously like the next two Mission Boss movies are some of the most fun action movies you got this decade but again next miniseries yeah uh, but yeah it's this whole thing where like I still think Ren is really good in like little tiny things I think he's really good in this like Hurt Luck of the Town he uh, is hustle. annoyingly good given what a massive asshole he is yeah, exactly <laughs> like I, I mentioned to my partner that we were doing Hurt Locker and she was like mm, with all the new stuff going on at the moment it's like yeah with all the new stuff at the moment it's not look we can't control when he's going to get away with trying to murder his ex wife okay yeah <laughs> so, i mean to the point where like disney were contemplating firing him from just the, uh, the do it. Series. just do it just literally have any other actor in the world play veteran hawkeye teaching hopefully Haley steinfeld i don't know if that rumor is dead or well, not that's the best thing is like she she commented recently at premiere that she was not sure whether or not the series was happening anymore and mm-hmm. i can only imagine that comment is based on the fact that i don't know whether or not it's happening if jeremy renner doesn't do it and it's like <laughs> no i would watch a hawkeye series with you Haley Steinfeld if it was just you motherfucker like, they replaced Terrence Howard with Don Cheadle just like that the last time I legitimately enjoyed Jeremy Renner in something because he's not good in tag <laughs> I wanted that to be a really good role for him and I was I was just willing it to be like a great little part and then it just never quite threads the needle no, or goes um, to that next level yeah, it, it's Arrival he's really good in Arrival I know people on this website are like not big on Arrival but um, yeah, I, I'm, a, maybe I'm we'll, a bigger rifle stand. Maybe we will rebalance those scales next year. <laughs> so this is 131 minutes long, a smidge long for my liking, and I think because it is in that sort of documentary style, it just feels like here is a sequence of events, so it makes them feel slightly less crucial to the narrative. But then I, like, I know I, I know what I would cut. I know exactly what stuff I would cut from this movie to kind of make it a bit leaner. What would you cut? I would cut all the stuff with the the body bomb and him becoming a, a rogue vigilante even if I understand what it means for the character <laughs> yeah. like the, his audition entire... for Mission Impossible <laughs> yeah exactly like that kind of quarter of the movie is I just kind of go like right we can pull this out yes <laughs> and leave all the stuff with the fun cameos and stuff like that in the movie yes so this was made on a budget of 15 million dollars surprised it got even that much money given some of the stuff I I read about the <laughs> luxuries awful, they were denied how awful this movie was Yes. To make. brought in 49 million dollars so a decent number considering like it sort of came and went and was on dvd before it even got its oscar nom, i mean so. yeah i mean like the whole thing is is like it comes out in the summer and it's kind of i don't want to say it's billed as an 
action movie, but it definitely feels like they're going for that kind of like blockbuster type thing. Three um, men versus. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's really weird because obviously like the movie is not that. Like the action scenes of this movie are not particularly exciting. Well, no, they're, they're kind ex- of like dangle an action scene that never ends up happening most of the yeah. time. That's its big trick that it does repeatedly. Yeah, again, it, it's quite similar to Inglourious Bastards in that it's a movie about tension where you don't want something to happen. The thing you want to happen is for them to have a nice time and not have to like... Can we all just get along and get out of this illegal war in Iraq? Um, <laughs> Mark Boll, uh, the writer, was a freelance journalist once upon a time and he met Bigelow after she produced the adaptation of an article he wrote for Playboy. They don't commission TV shows like they used to anymore, folks. <laughs> it's all comic books now. And <laughs> this led to a one-and-done series called The Inside. Ben, you've seen every TV show in existence. Have you seen The Inside? I've not seen The Inside. I'm wow. sorry. I've seen a lot of the stuff that he's done otherwise, though. <laughs> oh, well. You missed the most important one. You haven't listened to Serial, so you haven't listened to Serial Season 2, which was him basically going like, they won't make this movie, but do you want to make a podcast about it? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. He also did the story for Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Advanced, Call of Duty Warfare. Advanced Warfare. Yeah, that's such a fucking gimmick casting. Like, hey, you wrote two well-received war movies. You want to write a game that's set in fucking space? Like, <laughs> that's a different thing. So uh, he spent two weeks embedded in Iraq in 2004, and he was constantly emailing Catherine Bigelow about his experiences out there and he set out to write what he called the first Iraq war movie that truly shows the experience of the soldier because the sort of, I think as he put it, the CNN reporters don't get embedded with uh, the elite units and they needed to show people that are like really fucking good at their jobs and stuff and do very dangerous shit and to go along with this, this aim of authenticity, my word they filmed in Jordan, they wanted to film in Iraq but they were told by the security team, we cannot get guarantee you will not be killed by sniper fire which is a fair concern to raise so they were filming like three miles from the border like or sometimes even closer than that which is fucking insane jeremy renner got food poisoning he lost 15 pounds in three days he twisted his ankle and he claims that locals threw rocks at them and they were shot at more than once while filming the goddamn movie and worst of all they didn't have trailers with air conditioning so they are the true heroes here. This is very much a movie where, like, you see behind the scenes, not behind the scenes, but you see interviews with the cast and stuff like that, and all of them are just like, yeah, it was it was tough. Like, Matthew, I think Matthew's like, all... yeah, we all pissed each other off, it's hot, we're getting annoyed very easily, it was horrible, but it made me believe in filmmaking again. It's like, well... Yeah, exactly, like, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing where, like, I mean, both Renner and Mackie have had strong career researches afterwards. Brian Garrity's the only one that hasn't, like, popped. I mean, he's um, got a lot of film and TV credits I just haven't seen a lot of the stuff he's in or I don't remember it if I have or yeah, I, I mean, don't remember like, him I if, I, if I have seen yeah. him at the moment he's obviously got the kind of done a lot of stuff with the Chicago PD universe he was on that <laughs> show he was on Boardwalk Empire after it as well so like, he's, he's done on some Boardwalk TV Empire. stuff god that cast that cast <laughs> so after a quote about basically war as a drug themes we see uh, Bravo Company bomb disposal unit in Iraq attempting to uh, defuse an IED, get it out of the way, only for it to detonate after all, killing their leader, Thompson. Nice to see Guy Pearce, however briefly. <laughs> they have a really good sort of chemistry immediately, like a good, like, you bu- you buy them as a group of friends. I assume it is the forced bonding of being over there in these horrible conditions, even if he's only there for, like, a couple of days versus there, like, several weeks probably. Yeah, um, I'd be intrigued, like, when Guy Pearce came over to do, like, his scene, because... <laughs> 
<laughs> is it towards the end or do they do it at the beginning where yeah. everyone's kind of like in high spirits and you can kind of like hmm. want it when everyone's feeling comfortable around each other <laughs> and like wanting to stab each other in the face. <laughs> yeah. So right away, uh, we've talked off air about, I, I think you put it as like, they're sort of just presenting this to you without judgment in some ways. But like, I can't help but see things like Anthony Mackie's character, uh, Sanborn, just raising a gun at a civilian who's trying to talk to him and being like, yeah, go fuck off. Like, this isn't a meet and greet and everything. It's like, sure, but like, you are illegally in this country, dude. Like, don't raise guns at civilians. But then that is, of course, offset by like, you see them getting like really twitchy with a guy who's just standing there with a phone and it was right to be that way because that dude kills their fucking leader by like setting that bomb off and it's just it's almost ludicrous how you know like you see the big bomb suit and like how far he's got to walk and how slowly he has to do it and 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 this dinky little robot and the dinky little cart that breaks and and it all seems so like overkill but then a man dies and it's like oh okay yeah this is this is how life is here and it may seem silly but it is fucking necessary yeah um, and it's and it's kind of going like this is all kind of bullshit where it's like well who built the car oh the good old u.s army like <laughs> they're over here with stuff that doesn't work to do this job that no no one should be doing no because because again as you said it is a legal war yes. um, the let's, reason... keep, let's keep hammering that home every few minutes yeah i mean like and i think that's one of the most interesting things about this is that this is kind of the first movie to nail this conflict in terms of in terms of movie like i think this and generation kill were both in the same year both kind of like different examinations of it were generation kills that kind of david simon widespread kind of like look at the kind of like the ground up kind of fuck up Mm. that this entire thing was and obviously um generation kills got this like seven episodes kind of do this stuff whereas hurt locker is kind of more interested in a person rather Mm -hmm. than the systemic issues with the invasion of iraq and so there's more time for character stuff and it's more of a kind of psychological profile but i think both of them kind of nail just how dumb this was you've had stuff like jarhead which is not a great movie attempt to cover this warfare and like there have been good movies about iraq warfare before like three kings is a good movie but that's about the previous iraq war not this kind of current one <laughs> the sequel uh, but i think i think it's interesting that 2008 is the first year like we're five years post the fact and it's the first year where i mean obviously like obama gets elected and there's this kind of like i feel like there's a, a general consensus tide turn against this warfare in kind of the way that media presents it obviously there were people at the time who were very much like this is bad this is illegal yeah <laughs> um, and it's blatantly obvious in the time afterwards but this feels like the first time that the kind of media establishment is doing something full force against Yeah, so let's get the people out of there and start just sort of quietly killing people with drones instead. So, bye, Guy Pierce. Very nice to see you. I do wish you got more work. (laughs) Did you know the cameos in this movie? Because there's like a few fun cameos. Yeah, I like that the two biggest, arguably most famous actors at the time uh, who are in it, (laughs) their combined screen time is about three or four minutes. I know, and they both die kind of like very (laughs) ignominiously. Guy Pierce was bigged up in the trailer it helps that a lot of the stuff that you see him in is in the suit and so they can show other scenes with the suit later on the movie but, oh and... this is guy pierce don't worry about it <laughs> yeah exactly but it's iconic like the sort of big images 
of this film, like, one of them is, like, the bomb going off behind him, and it's, like, it's wild that, uh, you know, we're so trained by action movies that explosions can happen near you and you're fine, and this dude is, like, I don't know, 20, 30 feet away from it, in a giant yeah. suit, and he dies, and it's like, oh, shit, like, we're going, we're going this level of realism, okay? Yeah, like, like, this, this suit <laughs> is built to kind of deflect shrapnel, but it doesn't matter if you are within the kill zone, you will die, it's more kind of so that you can get within 50 feet of the bomb, and, and be kind Kind of maybe all right rather yeah. than a hundred feet of the bomb and kind of maybe be all right we will get to a scene where they talk about you know well at this range we're all fucked anyway so uh <laughs> yeah like, but like, even even then they say like kind of like hide behind the humvee when the bomb goes off because there's still gonna be shrapnel like even as far back as they are yeah. you need to you need to be hidden so with him dead they need a replacement and william james joins bravo company who have 38 days left on their rotation this is an ongoing thing in the film we see how how many days they have left and it's like you are trained to expect a giant disaster to happen with like one day left or whatever but it's this ticking clock and instead it's more like something fucked up is gonna happen every day <laughs> so on their first assignment he rubs everybody the wrong way but he does successfully diffuse a ring of ieds and rena now known as being a a giant dickhead in real life. Weird that mo many of his best roles are him playing someone who no one likes. Uh, because, you know, straight in there bothering Anthony Mackie with, like... You know, there was this kind of Michael Moore's portrayal of the soldiers that, you know, were in this war and, like, listening to, like, let the bodies hit the floor and stuff like that. And you've got, like, James is just constantly sit listening to this, like, uh, someone's described this as, like, kill your family me uh, metal and stuff like that. It, it's, it's, like, he's listening to Ministry. I know, um, yeah, repeatedly. I know it is Ministry, but, like, you know, just the, this is very much, like, an archetype of, like, the soldier that is there, like, listening to the metal and, like, you know, they don't do it, but, you know, the ones that love the Punisher logo and are just out there to fucking cowboy up and murder people but he isn't necessarily out there like I mean they have their little gung-ho scene at the very end but like you know if you think about what his job is it, he's not that but there is very much this sort of like he's an adrenaline junkie yeah yeah and that's that's your big theme throughout but yeah it's like bothersome from the jump where like he's not really turning it off properly or like he turns it back on like quite quickly when they finish talking I mean, I mean the first thing he does they're like he goes like can you help me with this and they pull down the protective wood they've put in the windows to protect them from mortar shells. He's just like, yeah, but I like sunlight. Yeah, he's like, well, if one comes to the wind uh, through the ceiling, we're all fucked anyway. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because like even with that kind of brief scene that you've got Guy Pearce in, you can tell how different they are in these kind of leadership roles. Where yeah. this isn't a team player, but like, the last guy was a team player and you had to play things by the rules. Um, he wasn't going to take risks. He wasn't going to take unnecessary risks. Whereas this guy's already kind of like putting. I mean, it, mostly it's his safety he's putting at risk. Yeah, but he's. But like, the fact that he's willing to do that and isn't very good at communicating is, like, yeah. immediately apparent. Well, like, he has his big line later on where he's like, you'll figure it out. It's like, I'm not changing, you will adapt to me. And so when they're, like, driving out to this first mission together, like, you get them, like, demanding that vehicles move, like, throwing things at the car and, like, you know, fucking get out of the way, pointing guns. It's like, again, you are here illegally with no authority. Like, what the fuck, man? I get what you mean when you say kind of just present it as it is without, like, a big judgment, but... And maybe they are, and I'm just... 
taking it as I'm taking it, but I don't like many of the soldiers in this film. I think a big point of it is how, like, obviously, like, the entire point in the movie is, like, war is hell, war is bad, mm-hmm. but there is kind of, like, a non-political element to it where almost none of the Iraqis have speaking lines, or at least no, no kind of, like, enemy combatants have mm. speaking lines like there are obviously native iraqis who are in the movie who, who get to talk but the movie kind of very pointedly doesn't explain much yeah it doesn't kind of try like, and like give you a villain character to like monologue i mean that yeah, wouldn't be it, and, and i think the end the, the, the lack of politicization kind of like rubbed people up the wrong way in 2008 because they were like expecting something that was more more, openly more like yeah let's oh or, or the opposite yeah yeah <laughs> well i mean but yeah even even feel good like you were you'd expect something like either you're going to have the, the the great white American soldiers going in there and doing stuff, or you'd have something that is explicitly going like, yeah. look how terrible this was. Whereas- Those are your two types of war movie. It's either like, let's rewrite history and show how great we were and how evil the other side were because we won, or lost in the case of Vietnam. Or you go, like, you condemn the whole thing, like, we should never have been there and the government betrayed us, man. And this, yeah, you're right, it doesn't do either. And, and instead you're just presented things without judgment. And like, there are elements like this that I find uncomfortable like seeing them just wildly flailing guns around at people who are just living their life in their own country (laughs) and then you know they get there and you just see what James is like immediately like declines the robot wants to go in on foot walks much faster than Thompson did is throws fucking smoke grenades yeah (laughs) like like, and doesn't doesn't explain it doesn't tell people he's gonna do it they go like what the fuck are you doing has something happened is there someone who's like trying to get you he's just like no it's just cover it's a distraction (laughs) it's just like frequently doesn't respond on. He's like asking for his distance. He's like, I'll tell you when I'm standing over it. I love this compared to uh, how many American soldiers, like they find the empty car, they go around the corner and these American soldiers who are all like gunned up in, in the fatigues yeah. and they've got like, and these are like six men and they're just like, we saw a wire. <laughs> just standing there, just like, come help us. And you get, you know, the taxi driver who barrels through them and James just like sort of standing him down with a pistol, firing through the windscreen, like, oh, he fires at the ground, he fires through the, the windscreen and like just past the guy's head and then he like physically approaches the car and presses the gun against his head and it's like yeesh I love kind of what the movie's doing is that like you never know why this guy's done this like yeah. is he just a guy who wants to get somewhere because he's got something to do and doesn't give a fuck about the American army is he doing it because he is yeah. on the side of kind of whatever kind of terrorist organisation there might have existed at that point yeah. that's the thing yeah they, they want you to think any of these people could be completely innocent and being like unfair sort of looked up and down as if they are a terrorist or the complete opposite of like hey you may think this is an innocent person but bam you're dead now I mean the entire point of the scene is like once he manages to convince the guy to reverse the car mm. like his first comment is like well if he wasn't an insurgent um, he sure as hell is now yeah yeah, like, which none great. of the others appreciate and he's just sitting there <laughs> smirking about because yeah yeah the, the once he reverses there's like eight dudes like tackle him out of the car and are like holding him at gunpoint and everything the visual of the because you know he diffuses the bomb or he pulls the whatever out and then he starts tugging at the wires and it's like these are such like volatile things that can just go off at random and him just tugging at the wires and revealing the ring of IEDs like like around him insane <laughs> like such a crazy crazy shot and yeah he... I, mean, I mean this is the shot that's on the poster like the scene of him kind of like pulling the, the six IUDs out of like the ground IUDs IEDs IEDs, IEDs. very different like, thing <laughs> 
and we even get another one. This is the one where like there's the guy who's watching him from the window mm-hmm. the entire time, and and he like ditches the detonator or whatever. He ditches it is. the detonator, which he which he goes and picks up. Or you later find he goes and picks up. But like mm-hmm. very much kind of like <laughs> it's it's kind of like one of the only explicit. Like obviously the phone guy is made very implicitly to be explicit. Yeah. To the point where like it probably is coming. Like Eldridge blames himself for for not killing this guy, and that's yeah. kind of his subplot throughout the movie is that he didn't shoot the the, the phone guy. I kind of wish there was a, a, a smidge more of this because I, I get what you're doing with this James character. Like, I'm not saying you need to do less, but like, there is this interesting subplot of Eldridge, like Colonel Cambridge, is his sort of is giving him like psych sessions or whatever, and he's just sort of like he's like reloading and pulling the trigger. He's like, he's alive, he's dead, he's alive, he's dead, and it's, while he's playing like Gears of War, and again feeding into this narrative that like these soldiers were treating this war like a game, but then also this dude is very clearly carrying this weight with him in a, and yeah I, I like how this ends up playing out for him and everything you wish yeah I know it is, is that kind of thing where like it it kind of feels a little bit jarring it feels like Eldridge's story is a little bit half-baked in comparison to Sanborn and James like I think Sanborn and James have this kind of like complete arc yeah. in the movie and Eldridge does too but it's- because it plays off with this kind of like fourth character who isn't in there as much as the others yeah. or doesn't interact with the others as much like it does kind of it has to play away from the others a bit more than what Samuel and James go through which is another one of those things where like and it's probably why Garrity doesn't kind of pop as much from this movie yeah. is that like it isn't bad it's actually like a really interesting kind of look at like PTSD and all these different things where like his decision making is what led to a commander dying and kind of like is very much that kind of thing where like he probably could have saved this guy's life if he'd been more trigger happy to shoot a civilian who wasn't a civilian if it was if it was a civilian like what if the bomb still went off and exactly. you can never be 100% certain with that kind of thing exactly. um, so yeah like the very next day not like you know a week later when they've recovered nicely they have to go do all this again and James repeatedly ignores orders well not orders because he is the staff sergeant here or, or whatever he ignores protocol yeah and takes his head set off while diffusing this like elaborate car bomb again like you see like a dozen soldiers opening fire on a balcony because like they're, they're heading there just to like walk along and then suddenly there's gunfire from the balcony and it's just you just see all these soldiers just opening fire on a balcony they none of them can see whoever fired they are just wildly shooting and it's like is are these the actions of like a highly disciplined military unit like it's not what you are wistfully led to believe by all the promotional stuff where it's like you know one shot one kill all that but you know it is what it is and you also see like um david morse right uh, yes yes deliberately leaving a civilian to die when they were savable he's like oh you know if we get him out of here in the next 15 minutes we've got a survivable wound so he's like he didn't make it and then doesn't he even shoot him or something uh, or like... i think i think you hear a gunshot you don't, you don't see anything but you do hear a gunshot i think yeah and it's like again this is where they're flirting with making a statement politically but i think it gets less political as it goes on almost yeah i mean i think i think like the David Morse has got that kind of like interesting <laughs> moment where like he goes to James you're and then a wild like, man aren't you're, you? <laughs> you're a wild man how many bombs have you diffused and obviously like Sambon and Elvis haven't heard this number yeah. uh, and a James... ludicrous number by the way <laughs> yeah, yeah like it's completely ridiculous but it's like it, it does play quite easily into this whole thing where like he's an adrenaline junkie the reason he's out here is because this is the only thing that makes him feel alive he loves it he's a wild man that's true wild man behaviour fun fact I saw this scene parodied in a American Dad and didn't realise until I watched The Hurt Locker. I was like, oh... (laughs) 
<laughs> right down to the you're a wild man aren't you uh yeah 873 bombs uh diffused that's farcical yeah so you know once once the shots have been fired and everything like they're fired at this car which is set burst of flame and james has to put it out and then he has to start you know he like opens the the boot the trunk for americans and it's just a fuck ton of bombs in the boot and then he immediately just takes off the suit and it's like what the fuck are you doing it's like well look if this goes off now everyone here is dead so if i'm gonna die i want to die comfortably i get the logic he's so matter of fact about it yeah and it's he's it's, it's probably completely right like the suit will do nothing so i might as well take it off yeah um, and then and then you just systematically go through the car and just going like well it's not here it's not in the back seat it's not under the front seat it's not in the and you got sam bond constantly being like we can stop now like all he, the people are out of the un building like we can go our job is done but that's not how he sees things you get this whole like sort of secondary bit that's happening where Sanborn has ended up on the rooftop trying to i guess find the guy that, f- uh, that fired the shot yeah well to the point where like james has told Sanborn to go away because he doesn't want Sanborn being near him he wants exactly. Sanborn away from him he wants yeah. eldridge the one who's going to be like paying the attention complicit to him. one he's like specialist you're staying with me or whatever and like there's like a guy with a with a video camera there are three men at the top of a tower that you know they're starting to seemingly signal each other and it's this incredibly tense thing where he's just like where do i point my gun and like eldridge is like in a position where like he is kind of a sitting duck as well and you're just sort of waiting for an attack to be mounted that never is but it's so tense while james is just casually like just like "Mm, not in the seats not in the glass oh the stereo is is hooked up to the windshield wipers that's weird let me just go rummage around in the yeah, like I love, I love that he, like he fucks up and then the windscreen wiper goes off and he's like, hmm, that shouldn't happen. But also like it's <laughs> that this kind of like bomb, man. <laughs> you see him toss the headset off. This is it for him. It's like I don't give a shit about what the missions are. Send me towards a bomb. I will defuse it, or I'm one day one might get me. But I'm going to defuse every fucking bomb I can. And so he is ignoring these orders and he is tossing off the headset. And then isn't he like you know, oh, have you got my tools or whatever? <laughs> and then he just yeah. like, he's like, right, we can go now. And it's like, dude, like everyone else here is like angry and tense and and hit up and everything. And he's like, ah, that was a good one. And then <laughs> Anthony Mackie punches him in the fucking face. Yes, <laughs> great, great stuff. The other undercurrent of this movie is this kind of like view on masculinity, mm. and we don't want to harp on it too much because obviously, like, I mean, this movie is directed by a woman who she's coming at this with this outsider written perspective. Well, like, obviously, this script is written by a guy, someone who was embedded with these kind of soldiers somebody who has taken artistic liberty with like what these kind of soldiers do because an uh, eod would not do half the shit that they do in this movie I, I, like, that, I think the next... that scene right near the end it's like no and also yeah, yeah the sniper scene as well yeah, sni- <laughs> the sniper scene is probably like one of the big ones but yeah like i think they, he kind of conflates a lot of soldiers into one thing and i think it's one thing that when soldiers view this movie they don't like yeah i read this like lengthy section about like you know backlash from from veterans and it's like oh it's so laughable some of the uniforms i couldn't even get through it because of that it's like dude come the fuck on like <laughs> every film in existence has this kind of shit where it's like oh well actually this th- 
this battalion wouldn't wear this uniform with this exact like badge on this shoulder. Like, oh, come on, like yeah, like, but but yeah, but like, but Catherine Bigelow doing this, it does feel like some of the scenes of just men being men and what mm. they do around each other feel like they come from a place of going like this is kind of like not something that I would do, but it's something that feels kind of very true to what these men are going through and like how they express their emotions. I um, think it, it. Well, you know, I haven't been to Iraq, but for the war or at all, but it feels very true to life like these these code as authentic male interactions to me having known a lot of men many of them dickheads this <laughs> it feels right like i'm just trying to think like are there other women in this film is no it? there is precisely one woman in this movie and, and it's evangeline lily <laughs> evangeline lily for about two minutes one phone call in like one scene deployed in a very similar way to how anna paquin was used in in the irishman this year i feel but yeah it, it's like there there is a complete lack of femininity in the actual casting of this movie but there is a very definite feminine guiding hand to these male on male interactions you mean one of like actual authenticity that's not trying to dress it up to be something it isn't yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so a couple of weeks later i think ish i sort of lost track of the what day it was but i know it was it was uh, i think it was I mean, you, 10 you days can tell, later but yeah, you can tell they've kind of gotten a bit sick of him at this point because <laughs> this scene starts with like they blow up one thing that they find down that down in down a uh, kind of crevice ditch i don't know how to it's very big oh i forgot my gloves so he takes the humvee drives down there and then samuel's just like these things go wrong every day no one would really like investigate this or anything yeah and he's like you'd have to fill out the report and he's like what are you saying he's like i'm not saying anything i'm just saying would you be willing to fill out the report and it's not entirely clear how serious he is here like i get the sense sanborn is too professional to do it but it's crazy and you also um cambridge tells Eldridge, war could be fun. Like, you'll <laughs> never mean, be here again. Like, st- you treat this as a positive experience. He feels like the one who's completely out of it. Like, he's the movie makes a comment on him later where he's like, he is the guy who's come straight from university into a kind of, like, behind-the-desk job. Yeah. The you're kind a, of guys... You're a soldier, but not really, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the kind of guys who fucked up, like, every single war. Like, the, guy, the guys who, the great idea in World War One was, let's just send them in a straight line over the trenches. Yeah, let's um, move that, that drinks cap and it's six inches closer to Berlin, as Blackadder said. Yeah, uh, and, like, Eldridge is like, you know, maybe you should actually come and see what we fucking do, and it's like, that will very much be harped upon soon. So they encounter this group of British contractors. They they help them change a tyre, but they are ambushed by snipers, and they end up in this lengthy sniper battle until it's safe to return to base. So Ray fucking finds his back on our podcast. He's really good in these, like, He's two really scenes. good. Can I touch my head now? <laughs> like... I forgot, 500,000 quid dead or alive. When he, when he goes and just murders these <laughs> two people. murders them. He's so, like, I don't know why, I think I've just seen so much where he's playing these, like, upper class, like, just posh, can't get their hands dirty type people. And then seeing him in In Bruges and seeing him in this, it's like, yeah, he's an authentic kind of, like, rough and tumble badass guy. Like, he's obviously still, you know, like a, you know, like a posh soldier. And you see, like, the infamous playing cards that the soldiers in Iraq had where it was like a deck of cards that had 52 like high priority targets they were there to kill it's like oh look we got two of them here it's like ugh. <laughs> like this is all it's like a nice subtle little thing to throw in there without comment but like if you're a not completely heinous human being you see that and I'm like ugh. <laughs> it's nice very briefly to see Ray finds and then he fucking bites it 
and we get more like wild gunfire at nothing. But this time the Brits are doing it too. I asked you, how are PMCs legal? How can you just <laughs> arm yourself to the teeth and just roll around fucking shooting people and taking prisoners and doing whatever the fuck you want? Like that sounds like the very definition of illegal, but I it, mean it, it sounds almost like vigilanteism. But yes. the whole thing is like they get contracts. Yeah, and... like it, it's a dumb thing that we come across in like video games, these private military contractors, but like this was one of the I know it's a film, but I was like, oh, this is the closest I think I've come to seeing a real one of these. And it's like, oh yeah, this is fucking farcical. Are they a PMC in Spec Ops? Uh, no, they are. They are. I don't know if they're Bravo Company or whatever the fuck they are, but they are military. Spec Ops, good game. Spec Ops, great game. Go watch the story of, of Spec Ops on YouTube. Or like, if, if you have a PC or a console capable of playing, go play Spec Ops. Yeah, go like, play it. It's, it's actually up. surprisingly fun to play as well. That was the yeah. bit that got me. I'd heard all this stuff about this, like, deeply like mature Gulf War narrative that they had and I was like oh but it's gonna be like Call of Duty and it's like no it's really fun and, and like anyway we're not here to talk about that but no, maybe we should maybe we should I do like that they very much emphasize sniping is difficult <laughs> people... yeah I mean like the, the whole thing is just they move the gun ever so slightly like ever so slightly and then the shot's like 17 meters further to the left yeah and I also like the, the acoustics are authentic as well, where like it's almost silent because the bullets are traveling so much faster than, than sound can and I think it's really, really good. It like it goes on a bit long and like as you said, like the idea that Sanborn would just just step up and just start sniping for funsies when he's like a bomb disposal unit guy, it's like I don't think this would occur, but hey. Yeah. This is one of my favourite scenes because I think this is kind of you get to see another side of James where James actually like in kind of life or death situation where he is not in control, yes. he kind of like manages to become the leader they, they need him to be. Yeah, he's like, like helping Eldridge clean the ammo, telling him he's doing a good job, giving Sanborn the like fucking Capri Sun or whatever it is and I mean, yeah, but himself. How, how fucking disheartening is that? That like, even in the middle of this kind of military conflict, the US Army sends him out there with fucking Capri Sun. Yeah. You know, you assume based on how James has behaved so far that that drink is for him. Because he's like, yeah, yeah, can you grab one? And it's like, I think we've got bigger things to do right now but then like you can see them both but you can see the physical effects of the heat on them like Anthony Mackie does not look well here no he doesn't and, and like, he even, just even like every shot of, of every shot of Randall he's got like a fly yeah. on his like eye and yeah. face and it just ugh. yeah and just James just sort of putting it down there in front of him and I was thinking like are these things not a bit of a risk because like they're like entirely silver and like the sun could catch them and like give away their position or I don't know I think they're like I think they're supposed to be like a dull silver Okay. It's it's the similar thing you get like when you um when you finish a marathon that kind of like it doesn't oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like it's it's a dull silver it yeah. still like absorbs the heat to kind of like help you but it's it doesn't shiny reflect. Yeah. And I like, like, Sanborn, like, placing the empty clip in front of James, who then just yells at Eldridge to get <laughs> get more, and, like, just sitting there, like, keeping his eye, his sights trained on, on the target, but just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and then reloading. And... I mean, it, it's almost paternal in yeah. a really interesting way that, like, in this hyper-masculine thing, like, he has to mother these people. Mm. Even down to, like, because obviously, like, whilst they're happening and Mackie's kind of, like, keeping an eye on, on these enemy soldiers, Eldridge spots something going on across the way. Yeah, they're about to get flanked and uh, he shoots the guy dead and that's kind of the end of it. I think it just goes on for so many hours that they're like, alright, let's just go. Because <laughs> like, I don't even yeah, think what they, they get all of them, do they? Yeah, they get all of 
them in the building, you get another one of these kind of like great slow-mo shots where the movie kind of like changes to this high contrast view. And like it they only do it and they don't do it to show violence. It's not it's not like a slow-mo shot to show them like blowing up someone's head. It's just this high contrast shot of the bullet or the casing falling out of the sniper rifle and kind of like flipping on the floor and then the enemy soldier's dead. And um, then and then they just carry on waiting. And then eventually they head on home and drink too much and fight and get very bawdy and masculine. Which and is, like this this scene is probably the most emblematic of that feminine touch to presenting this scene because obviously yeah. like this scene gets dark yeah quite quickly pulls a knife on him <laughs> but like it doesn't get to a point where like you actually think he's going to kill him in another movie uh, you could see it turning into this thing where like oh look, these guys are going to turn each other and be the death of this kind of group but this movie kind of like plays off as being like well they're not going to do that but they're expending this energy in ways that are definitely not constructive they're just railing up against each other like Sanborn very clearly not comfortable having like I don't want to say control taken away but you know in that situation where he is like completely pinned down by James and like he cannot physically move like, he can't handle it and he's got to pull that knife and it's like you know it's not that he should just sit like let James continue to sit there and like fucking rodeo ride him or whatever the shit he was doing but it's like this very dark thing where like men frequently only know one form of power and expression and it's physicality and like the extreme frustration when that doesn't get them somewhere is when things can turn quite dark you're trained to think Samuel's a very nice man and like you know you want him to punch James earlier but like in this scene here it's like oh shit okay um even even someone as nice as you possibly needs some therapy and this comes after this kind of like very vulnerable moment for james where like they find his box of stuff that almost killed him which has like the 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 detonator from earlier on the movie that was dropped on the floor and not at all worrying behavior here. yeah no and, and most tellingly his wedding ring yes this is a box full of things that almost killed me and then it's like, I thought you said this was a box of things that almost killed it. Yeah, like I said. <laughs> like, And yeah, he tells the story of how like he got his girlfriend pregnant. They got married, I guess because she was pregnant. They got divorced, but they still live together. And like, it's a whole complicated situation. And Yeah, and they, they call his wife or ex-wife stupid. And then he very immediately jumps to defend her, where it's like, I don't hate her. It's just... Stuff, like, there's, things there's, don't there's no, work out. Like, Yeah, there's no ill will there. It's just this kind of thing where it's like, this I mean, is there's, like, a reason, there's a reason why he's... Over here, there's a reason why mm. he's not with his son, but and it's because he can't function in society no. for whatever reason. It's like we're gonna see that scene at some point, and just them, or just generally them taking turns to fucking punch each other is dumb as shit. And like, <laughs> and they paint the fucking target on his chest. I know because he's like, like, I don't even think they they say like what the punch is for, do they? Like they say I owe you one, and like because they punched a... him in the face. Yeah, but like the thing, but it's it's sampled on James. It's not. Oh, and then he says you hit me harder than I hit you, so I owe you one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eldridge says you're not very good with people, are you, sir? But you're a good warrior, and it's like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, fast forward to them with 16 days left on their rotation. Uh, the unit and Colonel Cambridge uh, find a cache of stolen American weapons and a dead boy that James strongly believes is one that he befriended uh, earlier in the movie. And after clearing this situation, Cambridge is blown up by an IED. So, you know, you get Cambridge, like, patronising the locals, like, <laughs> trying to get yeah. them to move, like, gradually losing it, his It's patience. very dangerous here, in this country where you live and know exactly what's going on. Maybe yeah. you should maybe you should leave maybe you should just not be here where you have every right to be and I don't and like you know you see it like where all he knows is how to reason with people or when people aren't 
listening to his what he thinks is reasonable he's like i I don't know what to do i'm angry now i like that every time you go back to the scene there's more people there kind of like arguing (laughs) with him yeah so this kid that james meets who claims he is called beckham i'm like i I don't know if i really this kid's nice and charming well Um, even if even if everything he says is like completely awful yes he does drop a uh, an n-bomb but he does drop an n-bomb but that also feels like it's the kind of thing that i can imagine like that kind of kid in this kind of era who probably only experiences american culture through movies exactly yeah it's, I'm not saying you can get away with it, but I'll give that one a pass. Um, this 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 feels like true to what a someone from a country that would not have the experience of kind of like racial turmoil. There's no in context the same way. there to go with that. So you know, you see James kind of you know he's like buying DVDs off him that are clearly like you know bootleg and and playing football with him and everything. And then like they find this kid in this is it like a school or something? It's and, it's just it's just an abandoned building. Yeah, like, like I mean it could be a school, but it's definitely like something with big wide open spaces and it's like full of of these weapons that have been like stolen from the u.s armed forces or or like possibly sold by a tony stark like character and yeah like he is convinced that this this boy they find is beckham and i I like that like i don't know like the kid looks so sort of fucked up that it's like you kind of just go with it and you're like oh okay it is him because he like later on is like goes looking for him and he's not there and like and but the others are like why is he so sure it's him and i think he even says like they all look alike it's like oh <laughs> Interesting dialogue choice for you there. And their plan is to like demolish the building. And well, no, like... I think I think I think James kind of gets this point where he's just like he he's so fucked up by this that he's like because like normally he would try and defuse it or like whatever it is. Um, and his immediate response is like I don't want to deal with this. I I want to blow up this building. I swear he like cancels the plan to blow it up. He, yeah, he cancels. He so he initiates the plan to blow up the building because yeah. he finds the body bomb and then kind of like makes a decision to uh, I don't know, give the kid a proper burial or something along those lines where yeah. he decides to try and defuse this bomb. But like it comes after his immediate gut reaction action is to just blow the entire thing up yeah because you can't emotionally deal with it yeah and then like eldridge feeling directly responsible for getting cambridge killed like just not being able to accept that he's dead as well like because he's like he like goes like he's like gone (laughs) he like goes poof yeah and he's like no where is he He was just here he's like no he's dead man like we gotta go and it's like oh and i really wish they tugged at that just a little bit more than they do but i think it's like these two big emotional crushing moments for james and eldridge coming that close together and the james one kind of hits a little bit harder because you get that shot of him like diffusing it and cutting open this child and pulling a bomb out and yes. Hideo it, Kojima all, could never it's kind of fucked up it's, yeah. it's something that I think is very I think is probably one of the more controversial bits of the script is that like I don't think there's ever been a confirmed use of a body bomb yeah it um, does feel very Hollywood doesn't it <laughs> yeah like it feels like this is something you hear as urban legend it's not something that happens often and for these guys to find it in this movie kind of comes off a little bit like yeah. you're trying to sensationalize this in some way like maybe it has happened maybe someone has tried to make it happen it but... just seems like way more trouble than it's worth given all the other things they could put a bomb inside like yeah. <laughs> anyway moving from one bit of the movie that I agree could go to a very dark other bit James forces this merchant that Beckham worked 
for or works for is the reveal to drive him out to what he believes to be Beckham's house at gunpoint and then he kind of just thinks better of it and is forced to return to the camp on foot I think it's like he goes to this guy's house and it's this kind of well-to-do doctor yeah and it's like this doesn't feel right like if this kid is like selling bootleg DVDs working with this merchant or I mean yeah the whole thing is this kind of like as we said like they're very few Iraqis actually get speaking lines in this movie so like he went this this guy this merchant that he holds up like says he doesn't speak english he just drops him off somewhere and tells him it's in there yeah. we don't know whether or not he dropped him off the right house yeah they go inside this house the doctor tries to talk him down seems like quite a reasonable man oh yeah you're a guest so i'm glad to have you here i was like this dude has rocked up in like i don't know if he's actually wearing a hoodie oh well, he, yeah he puts the hood no, up he is, he's he... wearing a, he's wearing a fucking hoodie yeah he's like fucking stalking around very much putting his his highly trained skills to incredibly illegal use just going rogue above the law i'll do what i want i'm going i'm out for blood and then just like when he has made that decision to leave and like the doctor's wife is just like fuck off yeah like throwing things at him and hitting him and like cursing him out and he just takes it good glad we didn't get a dark scene where he murders them and then you know having to make his way back on foot and you get this almost danger of like what if something happens to him on the way back and then the the sort of gate security don't they're like you know get the fuck on the ground and like you know he's and he's saying like i have a weapon i'm gonna get rid of it now you know and he, he yeah, has like, to say like, i'm at a, i was at a whorehouse and then they're like can you tell me where it was? And it's like, Jesus. Yeah. God. I love this type of thing as well. Like the, the undercurrent to a lot of this is that the US soldiers are wound so tightly. Yes. Like it's even, <laughs> it's even with the comment that like um, Ray Fiennes made earlier where he's like, God, you guys are wound tightly when they like... Yeah, he like goes along with their little thing. He's like dropping his gun. It's like, he could have stopped this at any point. He's just going with it because I guess it's fun to him to watch the Americans be like so fucking uptight. Yeah, and then to the point where like when James comes back in, it's quite clear that he is a white guy who is... <laughs> With an American some, accent. Like, he's holding his fucking, like, pass up in front of him and stuff like that, and they're still going, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. We're going to hold up three men with guns towards you and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, yeah, all of that could fucking go. And it, I don't think you're ever supposed to like James, but it certainly doesn't do his character a lot of good, given... No, I think else. I think there's other ways you could kind of achieve this kind of... It's not an all-hope-is-lost moment, but this kind of realisation for him that there is something that he cares about. But I, it, just, it just feels kind of, like, out of nowhere, out of step with... Kind Kind of a lot of what the movie's really good at yeah like the, the, the bits where it feels like they're trying to be gung-ho vigilante is a bit well speaking of uh, that same evening they are called to assess an explosion in the green zone and james decides that the bomb was detonated remotely while everyone else is like oh yeah it was a suicide bomber the body's been blown up he's like no i think they did it remotely and he just fucking takes them out into the darkness with gut you know the three of them no backup and the other two are sort of forced to go with him because of being professional and they just go hunting around in the darkness for a bomber that may or may not exist we don't know and Eldridge is shot and no bomber is found and James when when he's planning to go out there he says to Sanborn you don't say no to me I say no to you and it's like they're both sergeants but because of the way the unit is put together he has the authority here even though they have the same rank but then that Sanborn is like they work together like cohesively when they're like sweeping the alleys and like going around the corners to try and get Eldridge back when he's briefly grabbed and everything it's like that's the entire dynamic it's that like Sanborn like clearly fucking hates this guy but like he's a professional soldier 
soldier so he's like well if we're doing this thing we shouldn't be doing I'm gonna at least do it properly and it's just an interesting little dynamic as they like head down all these fucking alleyways and, and yeah it's it's fucked man <laughs> yeah like I really like that kind of like the there's only one horror of war section and it's this kind of bomb sequence when like they, they pan around and there's the fires and the people who are all hurt and it's the one time they actually do like this is the yeah. civilian impact of the war because quite like every other scene is like everyone's gotten away there's no mm. danger to life like you see people in windows and you see people in kind of like cracked out doorways and stuff like that but very rarely is there a kind of like imminent threat that people have died and will die any second and then this <laughs> this scene like there's a lot of casualties and yeah. the movie kind of gets away from it and then goes for something that's a lot more heightened than it needs to be and yeah. it's such a shame after those kind of like those first three or four diffusals that they have earlier on in the movie which are so built around tension and so built around kind of like these characters interacting with each other and whilst it feels like it tracks in terms of who these people are because it's so heightened this entire kind of chunk of the movie feels like a less interesting version of this movie and it feels like the more hollywood version of this movie yeah it feels like they felt they couldn't just keep doing diffusals they needed something a little bit more run and gun or they felt that james needed to like you know we need to be very on the nose about the fact he is getting more extreme he is getting more reckless as the time goes down and i even thought for a minute that like maybe james was the one that accidentally clipped eldridge trying to because he's being dragged away by these two people it's because it's not clear no obviously like eldridge just blamed james for being shot yeah which he should (laughs) which he should but it isn't clear like the movie never is 100 like he was shot by an american or he was shot before the iraqis kind of grabbed him and yeah when james gets back and just showers in fucking full gear covered in in dirt and blood and everything it's like (laughs) so with two days left on their rotation sanborn and james are called in to deal with a man with a bomb vest strapped to him and uh while james insists on attempting to remove the vest despite the clear futility of it he is knocked to the ground exactly like thompson at the beginning but he does survive we also you know so before they get to that like we see a very much alive beckham approaching james who is like he doesn't really know how to handle that information he kind of almost like ignores him and is like oh shit i did a very bad thing he is in too deep at this point he has ptsd and you see eldridge being like airlifted home his leg is shattered in nine places six months until he can walk again maybe and good for him for giving james shit about an adrenaline junkie and being like you know i blame you you fucking should this guy got you shot like this isn't supposed to be how your job is and and he took you into a more like active combat situation and you got shot yeah i mean i i really like that kind of turn that he makes where like he starts ripping into james being like you're an arsehole you you're an adrenaline junkie like blah 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 and then he immediately turns to sanborn and goes like i'm safe dude like it's just this immediate turn from like one thing being incredibly angry to this Mm. person's my my comrade my brother my teammate whatever like i have his back because he's like not maybe doesn't like mean a lot to me but definitely like that they are bonded by the experiences that they've had together over the course of this year yeah and then he gets to go home and be safe (laughs) yeah so yeah when we get to this this person with a bomb vest strapped to them there are many many suggestions from various soldiers that they should just shoot this guy to stop him getting any closer and blowing them all up and 
James has to give it a try, doesn't he? He he, he heads on over, and it is... I don't know if it... It probably isn't, but it looks like the same street from the beginning, and I and maybe it's supposed to make it look as though it is, even when it isn't. But it's. I think the entire thing is supposed to remind you of that beginning scene. James heading over and repeatedly threatening to shoot the man. I really like the way this scene plays out in, mm. the, like, in the entire time you have it. You've got the translator on the phone telling him things like, he's a good man, he's got a family at home, and kind of like, you can tell that James just wants to save this guy he will shoot him if he comes closer but he yeah. does want to like get this bomb off like we don't know whether or not he wants to win or whether or not it's because like he just has to defuse all the bombs he has yeah. to he doesn't care about the rest like and again like the the degree to which he is threatening to shoot this man is is way over the line i mean the only the only thing that holds him it isn't technical know-how that's holding him back from defusing this bomb it's just the fact that they don't have cutters that are strong enough to break through yeah there's like four or five or six of these like incredibly thick metal like bolts and he like does barely manage to do one of them and he's having to like tell Sanborn to like you go like I'm gonna do this but you know he's like you've got 45 seconds like go and it's like clearly you're not gonna do this because he does all he struggles to do one of them and he does do it I think but then it's like but there are five more and it's like you should never have even started this and like him having to apologize profusely to this man as he leaves him he's like look I I I can't I'm sorry it's like we we never know has he ever failed before and he probably has but like is there a human life present exactly like like, like, this is the only time in the movie that you get to see a human face on one of these like everything else is there's a step removed like you know they're built by people you know those people are presumably nearby enough to kind of like trigger them from a mobile phone or however they need to do it but this is the first time that this is a person with a life and a family who wants to live yeah it's, it's so fucked up and like all of the extras in the movie are Iraqi refugees displaced by the war and this bomber I believe or he's not a bomber he is an innocent person who has a bomb vest strapped to him against his will he had some acting experience in Iraq so like Catherine Bigelow picked him out to do this and like yeah it's like a just a hauntingly dark moment as like this guy desperately wants to live because he has a family and everything and like here are allegedly the good guys here to save you even though like gonna spend all this time assuming you're trying to kill them on purpose but like they just can't and like this is how this goes i'm very sorry (laughs) like yeah yeah like almost repeating the shot from the beginning as well with him like the bomb going off behind him but he of course lives and then yeah we we see you know he's so good in this scene yeah when they're driving away and like sanborn is like breaking down and like saying nobody would care if i died except my parents and they don't count and it's like 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 it takes it takes a while to realize he's crying because like he doesn't do anything close to kind of like how you expect him to cry there's no sobbing or anything like that it's just all of a sudden you realize like his face is wet and his yeah. biggest wish is like i want to be a father he's kind of turned this point where like, i don't know if he mentions earlier on the movie where like he doesn't want family and stuff like that and then he gets to this point he's like i want that i want normalcy i want a child i want i, I want to have a son because they talk earlier like about if he's got any kids he's like oh i'll know when i'm ready and yeah, it's like that, that's that's it like he, he'll know when he's ready and and then at the end he's like I, I want a son man i want to go home and have a son i'm done with this like like you know basically i can't do this anymore like many soldiers do multiple tours and I, you know, we don't know what happens to him, but one assumes he's like, I'm good. I would like to be honorably discharged now, please. Well, it's like, like he's got this, like he's a day away. He can go. He's done well, his year. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if, yeah. even if even if he didn't, he'd probably want to leave now. Or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like this is the closest they ever get to bond because it's like they don't like each other. Despite they get used to each other a bit more, like almost like he said, like, oh, you'll get it, you'll figure it out. And it's like they do sort of come to a weird understanding, but like this is the closest they get to like 
like actually connecting and 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 James being like, you know why I am the way I am, and he's like, no, I don't, and they just leave it there. And it's like, yeah, oh. I think I think this is my favorite scene in the movie. Like this is the scene where when I watched it again, because like especially coming off of that not good kind of like chunk of the movie where they go vigilante to get this kind of like emotional psychological examination of these two characters. Like I don't want to say it feels earned, but it just kind of hit me like an emotional gut punch watching this scene. Like I still think that like the most memorable parts of this movie are those kind of bomb diffusal scenes. But yeah, this is the height. This is the best bit of the movie for me. Yeah. Is to see them in the car. They get so close to being able to openly express their feelings to each other. And like I feel Sanborn is there. It's just James can't articulate it to him. It's like this was your chance to say why you are how you are and maybe have a little bit of a breakthrough in your life. And and instead we see it when so he ships back home. They they finish their rotation. But he just you know, we see him going about the mundanity of everything. Like we get life. this hard this hard cut to him in like fluorescent lighting yeah. supermarket. It's, it's so different to everything else we see in front of the movie, which is like mostly natural light, yeah. mostly kind of like very He's being greeted by like American excess as well. Like he can't pick a cereal because there are fucking so many of them. Like it made me think of that. You remember a few weeks ago it went viral, like a guy was like, Oh, I'm here in a Cuban supermarket. Look, there's only one brand of everything, thinking he was like owning all of the fucking libs, and everyone's like, Oh no, imagine not having to choose between twenty identical brands. And it's like, yeah, like he is so used to like he knows exactly what his job is. He is pointed towards his goal and he knows what to do. And it's like, here are fucking thirty cereals. I don't know which one's which, and he just grabs one angrily and, and throws it into the thing. Like, yeah. and 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 this is kind of like one of like half a scene you get with Evangeline Lily. Like, we heard her on a phone earlier mm. where he calls her after Beckham's death or apparent death, and just kind of doesn't even talk to her then. And in this chunk of the movie, it's like she's like telling him where to go in the supermarket and describing like her normal day or whatever it is. And then, then he starts regaling her with a story of, like, just something that happened to him. In the war, yeah. And it's like, she doesn't want to know about this dude. <laughs> like, but that's all he's got. And we see that very much spelled out when he is with his son. And he just gives this nihilistic speech to a fucking baby. And he's like, you love everything. You think everything's special. And then when you get to my age, it's only one or two things. And for me, it might just be one. You can optimistically read this as, you're the only thing I care about. So, as I've got absolutely nothing else this is how i like fill my life but i think the more accurate and dark readers i love war basically like i love risking my life like i I think he is a profoundly depressed human being i think he needs fucking therapy i think he has suicidal ideation and i think this is the only way he feels and he just the way he conducts himself throughout like it's not casual because he's cocky and confident he can do it i think he just genuinely doesn't give a fuck about his own life and doesn't have any human connection to anyone else so doesn't consider that like the way he conducts himself could be endangering your Sanborns and your Eldridges and whatever it's like it's fine that you want to fuck around with your life but you are not just responsible for yourself and like seeing him ship back with Delta Company with a 365 day rotation with a fucking smile on his face is so depressing <laughs> yeah again like the movie is never explicitly about a lot of these things but yeah it, it's just one of those things where like this is such a carefully painted psychological portrait of a man who is unhealthy and has an unhealthy relationship to this stuff yeah. that makes it so much more more attractive and i think the movie completely nails that i think jeremy Renner's is great i think anti mm. mackie's great I, I would probably say anti mackie should have been nominated for supporting actor at the oscars definitely obviously this movie got nominated for a whole load of things was this Pictures. his 
kind of first big thing? I mean, he'd done 8 Mile before this. Oh, yeah, I constantly, whenever Anthony Mackie was on screen, once he sort of made it, I was like, you know that's the fucking dude from 8 Mile, right? And they're like, oh my god. He's done a few things, like, he's in Half Nelson, where he's really good, uh, yeah. like, Million Dollar Baby, um, 8 Mile, like, his debut, but, like, yeah, this is kind of like, I think this is the first time he started getting a whole load of awards attention. And I think um, when he said, like, this made me believe in filmmaking, and it's like, I think this probably also, like, gave you your career almost because he gets a lot of work now and he deserves it he's a great actor and he's and he's seems like he's a good human being as well but yeah he is so so good here and Renner like if one can detach themselves from the real life man like this is a hell of a performance and the quote at the beginning spells out everything you're gonna see afterwards that like war is a drug and like he keeps rushing back in because you know i guess he feels lost and frustrated and numb and like this is a thing that makes him feel and like those moments where his life is literally on the line and he's collecting the trinkets and everything it's like this is him self-arming essentially merry christmas everyone (laughs) this has been there will be movies i guess i i don't like war movies still this was not the worst I mean, I think it's a good movie, I just, but like it, much like Inglorious Bastards didn't do much to make me think differently of Quentin Tarantino, this didn't make me think differently about war movies. I still, if I know that there is a war movie, like if people are talking about one with Buzz, I'm like, no, sorry, this is this is putting me off. But I am glad I watched it for this, and Catherine Bigelow very good at this, and I can see why they sort of saddled back up and went off and made Zero Dark Thirty in the next decade. Obviously, like they work really well together. I mean, Zero Dark Thirty is kind of, again, a lot of the stuff that works the best in Zero Dark Thirty is a lot of the tension building stuff, which this movie does really, really well. I think it's a bit less explicit in kind of like, one of the interesting things this movie does is like Anthony Mackie and Jeremy Renner kind of were probably best known for playing kind of like, maybe not villains, but definitely kind of not good characters. Because obviously like, well, Anthony Mackie was a drug dealer in Half Nelson and kind of going like, well, these are the actors that we need to put in roles of soldiers, which I think is really, really interesting. But yeah, this is just, it's, it's a good movie. I think it's it's a nice way to kind of like cap off the decade. And, and as I said, a very uh, festive sort of message here about this uh, very uh, suicidal man. But there you go. We did a decade of movies. Some of them are better than others. This was never intended to be a ranked list. We're not trying to say these are the 25 best. These are just 25 of our favourite. And uh, I think they got better as they went along, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really glad we did this volume one in the books. I think it helps that both of us have like more emotional attachment to stuff later on in the decade because obviously like both of us were kind of born at a point where like we wouldn't have seen a lot of the stuff in the early 2000s in the cinema <laughs> no yeah and, and like you know some of these i had some memory of that that you probably didn't but like even those it's like i was catching these on dvd two years after the fact or whatever but yeah a good decade of movies i would say i think next decade there's more things that both of us want to kind of like go to the mat for yeah we we very much struggled to, and i the list for next volume we are going to do uh 2010 to 2019 next not next the next volume of the next volume of this yes we're going to bring this back around the same time next year so the last sort of final 25 weeks of 2020 jesus that list is still up in the air i've got some movies to watch to try and uh see if i can help bang that into shape but we'll be taking a break from that will be movies but we will not be taking a break from podcasting as our next series is secret agent then 
wherein we'll be looking at Mission Impossible, Bourne, and Bond, specifically Daniel Craig Bond, as, uh, you know, these three franchises kind of were dancing around each other and, like, copying each other a little bit and then, like, pushing the envelope in new ways. And, yeah, I think it'll be a fun, dumb, much more light-hearted podcast that hopefully will have sub-one-hour episodes. But, yeah, that will be coming. I mean, I think by the time you hear this, it'll be coming, like, next week. But, yeah, we're we're planning to kick the, the year off with Secret Agent Man. Yes, and then we'll be tying into, like, the release of... No, no time, time to Die? No Time to Die. Trailer, trailer came out today. Fucking dope, but we'll see what happens. I do have a couple of red flags that have gone off while watching it, but we'll see how that all turns out. And maybe, just maybe, Christopher Nolan is making secretly his own, basically, bootleg Bond movie, Tenet. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll find out whether we'll or not... We'll see what happens there, but yes. Uh, we, do, we do have plans for what we do immediately after Secret Agent Men. We're basically booked for Yeah, we are booked now. for a long period of time, but like yes. we know what we're doing immediately afterwards. I think we'll we'll take some time off after that. I mean I'm I'm probably I will probably have been on a Watchmen podcast on the real world at this point. Yes, I believe that is in the books. Yes, we're gonna do uh Watchmen that will come between Secret Agent Men and Volume Two of There Will Be Movies, and then hopefully some breaks either side of those to, to yes. recharge. In the meantime, just go to enterthereworld.com, go to sandbox.com slash Mike and Matt, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, send us questions, feedback, criticisms. I'm I'm not too small of a man to be criticised. Thank you, Ben, for this journey. Uh, when we started, I thought this was an insane thing we were doing, and here we are, 25 episodes later, and 2019, uh, this decade done, I know. dusted. On we move to. How weird. Thank you, everyone, if you have been listening to this whole series, and uh, yeah, I've very much enjoyed making it. Doing some more grown-up movies. Uh, we'll try and get some silly ones in there as well. Um, we're going to do something much sillier with secret. Agent Men. Do we want to shout out our favourite movie from the Obi Movies Volume 1 so far? If you go to our Letterboxd profiles, which I might link in the description for this one, I I think it's Memento for me. Yeah, you've got you've got Memento as your number one. I just really really like Memento. It's extremely my shit. The narration, <laughs> the, the gimmickiness, the, the backwards stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah, I loved it a lot. I, I had Children of Men, which... Children of Men is, is my number two, I believe, from memory. Yeah, Children I mean, I think, I think, yeah, the top, like, eight movies are all five-star movies for me on my list. I think they're all kind of, like, little masterpieces. I'm realising I don't give many nine out of tens. It's almost like, if a movie hasn't become a five out of five for me, then it's more likely to be an eight than to stay at a nine. Anyway, yes, uh, it was never meant to be a ranked list, but, yeah, I fucking loved Memento and Children of Men still fucks, and... A good time. Uh, go check those lists out. But yes, what I've been trying to say for several minutes now is thank you everyone for listening to this. We will see you for more of this next July. But we are on to the secret agents, uh, Ethan Hunt, Jason Bourne, and Bond, James Bond. Bye everyone, and thank you for listening to The Real World in 2019. See you in 2020. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Will there be movies? For me, the next movie's Parasite, which I'm seeing Monday, so I'm <sighs> excited. Shit, we'll see if that ends up on the list. Bye everyone. So I didn't know.